doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. Welcome to Uncomfortable. Hello, Eric. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to have you with us tonight. Thank you. Now, I uh, just before we started recording, I, I mentioned to you that we had a brief, uh, a brief shaking of hands, a uh, wave uh, away from across the uh, the alleyway at your West Branch uh, Bigfoot Discovery Days back this last mm-hmm. May. But we hadn't had a chance to be actually introduced and, and have any sort of a conversation. And I know that uh, that you're you're a, a fairly recognizable name in Bigfooting in the state of Michigan. And if you wouldn't mind, if you would uh, if you would go into how long have you been doing this, and uh, you know where about you uh, do the most of your investigation, and let's just get into it. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah, actually, I had never thought about investigating Bigfoot for most of my life. Actually, I think I figured I was 63 years old. My wife and I went on a nice trip to the Maritime Provinces, uh, New Brunswick, uh, and over in that area. And uh, on the way through New Brunswick, we were on Four Lane Highway. We saw uh, somebody walking between a block of trees, uh, two blocks of trees. <clears throat> at the time, you know, it was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We, it just didn't look right to be a normal Canadian with a plaid shirt, blue jeans, baseball cap, a white face. Uh, just didn't look right. Uh, it was probably 40, 50 yards for us. Um, we couldn't really go back. It was a, a limited access highway and didn't even consider it. But when we got home, uh, we told our sons that we'd seen a Bigfoot. 
and they said, uh, well, you must have seen a Bigfoot because you, you never agree about anything otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is, you know, sort of funny, but we've been married 52 years. And we just got back from a trip south, and we get along very well, actually. But I just sort of started there, and then it was an ad in the Detroit Free Pass about having a, it was a BFRO expedition near Marquette, and I talked to my sons and a brother, and we went up there and camped and, and uh, went to some of the stuff. There was Matt Moneymaker, and, and uh, my sons really aren't believers that much. They still aren't, but they did put together what uh, was really quite uh, unusual. Uh, it was what I call a mockumentary of uh, Bigfoot. It's called the Shaw Bigfoot Project. And it's in three parts on YouTube, but it's funny, you know, the Jack yeah. Link uh, ads and whatnot. It really <laughs> gave me an in because as I more and more read about it and studied it and whatnot, I, I became convinced that Bigfoot is real and it's out there. And I currently read, I think the numbers, 105 books about Bigfoot and been to many conferences and expeditions around, mostly around the Big West, uh, Midwest. I've never gone out west that mm-hmm. much. I've been all the way to Oklahoma and, uh, you know, around the uh, Midwest. Um, I've limited my research, actually, to just six counties in Michigan. Specifically just six? Six, just around West Branch. I, I guess I'm... Uh, some people might call it cheap. On the other hand, maybe it's frugal. <laughs> Michigan's a big state. We got 83 counties in oh, Michigan. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a good size and, state. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're in a big state. And uh, I, I concluded, you know, when I started documenting stuff, that we got all kinds of sightings. I'm over 140 incidents uh, just in the six counties. Now, when you say the 140 incidents, you actually take reports of these uh, sightings and, and encounters, correct? Anybody that uh, uh, has had some kind of experience and has not already reported it to BFRO or some other significant website, gotcha. you know, like a written report, then I'll go to their house, look where they're at, if they want it, they don't always want a personal contact that way. But if they are, if they have had a sighting or something, I, I prefer actually to visit, yeah. see where they're at. Now, is that specifically to reduce any kind of redundancy as far as the reports are concerned? It, it, I think it adds authenticity in the sense that, you know, you can tell a little bit, bit easier if you're talking to a person directly that you're not being hoaxed. You know, mm-hmm. and I, per- I personally feel I, very few times uh, that I have been, uh, you know, buffaloed, you might say, because, you know, for people to come out and say they've seen something, they're, they're putting themselves into a, a you know, a questionable position because sure. most people think you're nuts. <laughs> you know, they obviously don't exist. And so, yeah. so uh, <clears throat> and, and uh, the vast majority of the people, I think, are telling the truth. <clears throat> but the one thing is that I uh, have done different than a lot of people is I record not just sightings, but I also record uh, tree breaks, footprints, uh, vocalizations. Uh, you know, I got about eight different categories. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, just looking here, I'm up to uh, 
sightings, 64, vocalizations, 49, tree knocks, 21, tree breaks, 14, stick structures, which I now call structures, 23, rock throws, 18, footprints, 17, property damage, 7. So, you know, I'm, I'm done, yes, I got, I got to list of 142 different incidents. Uh, a few of them my my own, certainly enough that I'm absolutely uh, convinced they're here. Yeah. And uh, so it's been, you know, I'm retired. Actually, it re- I completely quit working uh, pretty much uh, out, you know, at about 65. So it really fit nicely for for a retirement uh, hobby. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> and I've enjoyed it because I've, you know, met some really nice people over the years. I'm the one where our committee seems to come and go, but I'm the one that's, always contacted the potential speakers and arranged for it. And I find it, I have basically financially backed our conferences, which we've generally done a big one more or less in the spring and then a smaller local speaker type of thing in the fall. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and that's, uh, called, uh, that's called Bigfoot Discovery Days, correct? Yeah, yep. In West Branch. It's always yep. in West Branch. Yeah, we got one May 14th, uh, 35 bucks for adults, and uh, it's $15 for 14 and under, and uh, just a one-day deal uh, at the Methodist Church where I attend. And what day was that? Uh, May 14th, 14th. is a Saturday. And you know, then in the it, fall, say again? Uh, I was just going to say, and as I said earlier, I, I was uh, in attendance at the one uh, last May. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah, a, it was, was a in, great day. That was in the uh, Irons Park because of COVID. We mm-hmm. did, the church didn't think we should be coming there yet, and uh, so we had it outside. And it was we fortunately had a beautiful day, and uh, uh, you know Ron Moorhead was there for yeah. that, and 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 Janice Carter, who I think has done significant uh, history with Bigfoot, you know, so. Um, yeah, I've been pretty pretty happy with the speakers we have. We don't have a lot of them, but the way we've done it is have them speak twice, once in the morning, once in in the afternoon with a town hall thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in lunch, you know, and uh, so it's it's worked and we we uh, we got 100 people we're pretty happy. Yeah, it was that on. was it was a really nice day. Uh and yeah. you know, I I got to meet Ron Moorhead. Uh, yeah. he, he was, uh, incredibly cordial and, yeah. uh, took, took a gr- great deal of time with, uh, myself and my son. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, we, we ended up doing a, um, getting together and doing a show, uh, after that, that I aired. Yeah. And then, uh, I reached out to him to have him be a, a speaker at, at my event in September, sure. Bigfoot and Brews. Sure. And uh, mm-hmm. just a just a great guy, super yeah. super he individual. Actually, he actually went flying with me. We went there. There was a a fire over here. Six thousand acres burned last uh, probably was April, and uh, we flew over that almost to uh, Lake Lake Huron. And uh, but it turns out he's a longtime pilot, so he was very <laughs> uh, well. He's had a variety of airplanes and flew all over to Alaska and South America. So he's quite. Uh, got quite a history you know and he's and he's experiencing a pretty nice little resurgence here with his appearance in the uh alaskan killer bigfoot uh series that aired oh was he in that yeah he uh he was uh 
I don't remember if it was the third or fourth episode, uh, helicopter lands and, uh, who gets out of it, but Ron Moorhead. And I remembered, I remembered speaking with him up there at West branch. And I just casually asked him, I said, you know, what did you have coming up in the near future? And he said he was going to another state to do another speaking engagement. And then he said he was going on an expedition up to Alaska. And I thought, holy cow, man, at your age, and you're still hoofing it out there in Alaska. And uh, he said, yeah, I can't talk about it because it's going to be, it's not in production yet. And then sure enough, that's that's what he was talking about was his appearance in that uh, Alaskan big killer Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, he's doing remarkably well. You know, he's had some uh, brain uh, issues, you know. uh, I think it was a type of cancer, but he's, he's over that. Yeah, he's doing very well. Yeah, great guy. And and this year you have, uh, am I correct, uh, Robert Kreider coming up to your West Branch? Yes, yes he's coming. Yep. And we had a we had an extremely interesting, extremely long show uh, between he and I. It was almost three hours, and uh, wow. man, some of the stuff that he had to talk about was just a little mind bending. To be honest, well, I'm sort of excited because I don't know if you you've heard of lidar. Yes. Ground penetrating ra- uh, radar. Mm-hmm. He says he's got a unit there. It sounds like it wasn't working right now, but he's supposed to bring it with him. He's driving up. But we've had a lot of Bigfoot uh, sightings along a pretty good sized river called the Osabo River, uh-huh. to the north of us, about 30 miles. Sure. But if he brings that. I'm hoping that he can use it along the rivers because I'm somewhat convinced that that's where they go in the winter. It, the in a in a underground uh, underground cavern. cavern. I read a book uh, called "The Wild Man of uh, uh, Middle Ages" or something like that, and whoever wrote that said that's where they're at. They go into the undercuts of rivers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just makes a lot of sense, you know. Naturally, you get a lot of undercut there with a, with erosion anyhow. Sure. And uh, that's where otters live, you know, not beavers. But uh, to me, that's just a logical place. Uh, people um, don't think of that. It's usually quite dangerous to get into the bends of a river. But it would be an ideal place where they could go up and dig and bring in some... Uh, stuff to lay on and maybe even roots for food and a deer carcass or two and <laughs> whatever well, it takes. Yeah. Well, I'll have to throw, I have to throw my na- my son in on that as well, because uh, my son lives in Grand Rapids and works for a uh, testing company uh, for environmental stuff. And he's actually certified okay. in ground penetrating radar. Oh, really? And uh, uh, he might be a, he might be a resource as far as uh, being able to do something like that as well. Yeah, well, that'd be great. Yeah, let give him my address and stuff. I, I of course, we don't really have much budget. We're, you know, we, we've just uh, try to charge enough. It's going to be thirty five dollars for adults, just that we cover cover our three speakers. Mm-hmm. Not going a hole too bad, which we haven't. We've been real fortunate. Right. We had Cliff Brackman here a couple of years ago, and he was a big draw because he's on TV for sure what, eight or nine years. That was a good one. Oh, there, there's a possibility that he might be able to uh, uh, take that unit with him for the weekend and uh, we can just come up there and... That'd 
be take, super. Take a walk around the uh, the riverbanks with you. <laughs> the plan right now is uh, Robert will stay in a cabin right next to the Osaba River for his his stay. Mm-hmm. So he'd be right accessible. In fact, we got a, a guy there that he's got he's got he's owns two cabins there, and he has found some serious Bigfoot activity. Seen them a couple times and and. Seems to have a lot of good stuff right there. Now, where you're from, West Branch, the, 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 it's pretty much the self-proclaimed Bigfoot capital of of the state of Michigan, correct? Yeah, yeah. The city fathers uh, bought that, and I, of course, I jumped on it because I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm lived here since '72, and and like our city, and it wasn't my idea, but I have I have certainly promoted it. In fact, in fact, I put up signs and stuff. And but uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went south, and we went to the Alabama State uh, uh, Bigfoot State Capitol in Evergreen, Alabama. Yeah. So, uh, so I had a nice chat with those guys. So, Phil, you you, you stated you you started your your ex exploring of this uh, this topic at about sixty three. Oh no no. It was 2006, 2006, and I went to went to that expedition by Marquette in 2007. Okay, okay, okay gotcha, gotcha. And then as I had a, a fellow here, and we went out and did stuff, and gradually started accumulating stories, and and then it occurred to me that, gee, I should write this stuff down, and and uh, so my thing is to write stuff, you know, write reports down of whatever activity. And now I've got it on, uh, actually I contribute about a dozen Facebook pages, but I've got a YouTube channel called Phil O News One. And that goes back further because I started finding structures over by a river over here to the to the east of us, about 20 miles. And and I found structures all over. And, and But I also have a Facebook page called West Branch Bigfoot Capital of Michigan, which isn't as extensive but it's still got a lot, a lot of the reports there. So if people were looking to see some of your, uh, your, your photographic evidence of, of these structures and, and stick yeah. breaks and stuff like that, where, where's the, the best place for them to go to? Probably, probably my YouTube channel, Phil O News one. Okay. Cause that goes back to where I was finding structures early on and, you know, tree breaks and stuff. So that's the oldest record. I used to hand people if they did a report my uh, my report sheet, but it's only about nine pages long now. You know, so I don't with the price of printing uh, ink and paper. I don't do that anymore. I <laughs> figure they can look at the reports if they want. I have listed them some on the YouTube, particularly on the YouTube channel, so people can actually look at the listing of the reports. So, from the time that you got into into doing your your own investigations and and speaking with other people uh, i'm curious uh did did you start to create a reputation for people knowing that you were into this subject and then would they approach you with their reports or did you have to go seek them out i think you know picking up and doing these conferences has been the key because i've always been more or less the MC to make it the program mm-hmm. and I, I have developed a business card which I 
not. I don't have a business. Actually, we did incorporate our committee, which was useless to do that. But anyhow, uh, uh, just doing that is people come in if they got a report, write your name, email, phone, and uh, I've got a lot of reports that way. But that's one of the changes over the years is getting to be more and more people into Bigfoot research. And like Val, you mentioned, and uh, they're wanting the reports and big time. And so I'm not seeing as many, but I think it's a matter of sort of competition. You got all these different uh, uh, people looking for reports, and, and like I said, if if they've already reported it, if it's documented uh, with somebody, then I don't see the point me doing it again. You know. Right. And I do. I have limited myself to just six counties. I just don't want to. You know, I get reports now and then. Somebody will call from across across the state and talk about activity. You know, on the other side of the state. But but uh, I won't spend the time writing it up for them. I says, you know, you know, you should report it to somebody that's keeping a record and ideally writing it out so it's a more of a permanent record. You know. Yeah. Uh, you could report it to bfro.net. The problem is that really takes good typing skills, good uh, computer knowledge, uh, and a lot of people won't take the time to do it yeah. and don't have the expert expertise to do it. I'll, I'll actually go uh, for people in this area and visit them and write up a whole report and then have them edit it. Say, is this about right? Yep. Okay. Then I add it to my listing. So I'm doing I'm doing more of a legwork for them, you know, and, yeah. and and it occurred to me here a while back, you know, it's about what I did. I worked for USDA for 26 years and as a uh, loan officer, and then nine years for a bank where I was a, um, a reporter more or less, and so I was used to doing reports, and. Um, that's sort of an offshoot of what I did for my work, you know. Mm-hmm. I can I can write I can write up a report and uh, try to think as many questions as I can, <laughs> you know, and that's it, you know. So you know, at it, least it, it's a, at least it's a record. Sure. So many reports are not, and I it's really really frustrating. We to uh, well, we had a, a conference last fall, and we had a guy come, uh, and he had a very good report. I didn't do a video. I wish I had. Um, <clears throat> I hope he's still living. He had COVID real bad, and I've been trying to contact him. He, he put me off, and whether he actually reported it to a different uh, um, Bigfoot group, I don't know, but um, I hope he's still living because <laughs> COVID does kill people. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... Thankfully, it seems to be uh, back in a way now. Um, I think it is. With enough people, the, I got vaccinated. Even though I vaccinated, I think I still got it, but yeah. it didn't kill me. That's yeah, and I'm convinced uh, uh, I got it the the December before it became public. Um, yeah, and yep. that a lot was, of people did. That was uh, that was the worst yep. that I'd ever been sick. It, it was it was terrible. Yep. It took me. Oh, wow. Took me a good yep. six weeks to get back to being about eighty percent. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah was... I think I got it a year ago. I, my, my it's in my muscles. If I exercise very much, my biceps 
it's really noticeable. I mean, I just, I don't know if they ache or what they do. <laughs> I think it's in my legs, but I don't notice it because, I don't know, it's just a little different. But, but if I overdo it, uh, it, it really, really affects me. But it's hard to separate because I just turned 79, and some people think I'm getting old. So. <laughs> Doesn't matter what other people think, sir. It's what you feel. Well, so. well in that scenario, I feel like I'm 90, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, I feel like I'm only 65, you know. Yeah. I feel pretty good, really, most of the time, as long as I don't overdo it. <laughs> So I'm interested, you know, with, with you starting back in, in 2006, um, yeah. to present day, um, you, you certainly must have seen some changes in, um, like you said, the, there's more people who are out researching. There's more people who are out looking, trying to get reports. <laughs> and I even do that, you know, from, from my standpoint of, of what I do with this show is I'm trying to, um, basically make a permanent record of people's experiences only sure. where, you know, you, like you said, it's, it's always good to get in front of somebody and see them as they're talking and, you know, it can help yep. you. Mm-hmm. And I get that from speaking with people and, you know, the majority of the time I'm, I'm not actually in front of them or on a, on a video right. screen with them. But I know I know people, and I know how to talk, and and I can I can definitely tell when somebody is um, struggling with you know trying to provide uh, um, extra um, extra information, or you know possibly I hate right. to say at times manufacturing something, and then there's also an organicness to talking to somebody who is very fluid with their story and doesn't seem to stumble over anything. And you can really pull that emotion out of them as if they're reliving that, that moment as they're telling you, and, sure. uh, you know, so with, with the amount of time that you've been in this, what, what kind of drastic differences have you seen as far as, uh, investigators and, and the way they're going about doing things here in, in this state of, in the state of Michigan? Well, I think I think I also see people get into it, and they also sometimes drop away. In fact, some of the names you've you've um, quoted there, I think they're they've sort of come and gone. And uh, you know, it's uh, um, there's a limit to what you can do with it. You know, uh, everybody wishes to get a nice, clear picture of Bigfoot, or even if you did, probably. Uh, the the 90% is still going to think you're nuts, you know, yeah, exactly. including most of my family <laughs> and friends. But, uh, um, well, I think, I think the Finding Bigfoot show really did spur a lot of interest in the cryptids, the Bigfoot particularly, because, you know, it was right there every week. And uh, um, so I think that was a big plus. I think the history's been there forever. The Indians and mm-hmm. like that, uh, it's the history's there. It's just that most people aren't aware of it, and they typically don't share whatever history they have because they're going to get ridiculed, you know. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I don't know. It's I think the computer has made made it big time possible. Uh, I just can't imagine in the old days where. In fact, this Dan Perez that's coming, he mixed with some of the original researchers there in Oregon and California. Uh, and uh, 
you know, back then they had to write letters. And, yeah. Uh, now we got the internet. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you can do the report. Like I said, I contribute about a dozen Facebook pages, and I'll get sometimes 20, 30 likes back from that. Mm-hmm. And once in a while, I'll get some nasty comments or, or you know, good comments. So it's always, it, the interaction is so much more possible today than it possibly could have been but 20, with, 30 years ago. But with that, you also have the ability, or not you, but some have the ability to um, perpetrate hoaxes and oh, yeah. And, yeah. and manufacture videos that are at times uh, extremely silly and makes you wonder what the hell they were thinking when they decided to post it. Sure. But then there's other ones that are very, uh, very well done and, and fairly convincing. Um, so you have to, it's a double-edged sword. You have to, it is. you have to weed through a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard to tell what's real and what's not, you know, and so I, I, video, can, I can, I can see where when people are trying to make a living at it. Mm-hmm. it and that's can, a red flag for me. When, when you see people that are, are you yep. know, doing everything they can to make a living at it, it that's changes, a red flag. It changes the atmosphere. Uh, if, it, if you're doing it just for the hobby, for the interest, then you sh- should be getting interest or, you know, getting honesty, you know. Yeah. And uh, But when you're trying to make a living at it, then you, then you start doing things that are questionable. Yeah. When you start charging, when you start charging to take groups of people out on a Bigfoot hunt and and stuff like that, you're, you're not saying you're crooked. I mean, you're taking advantage of a situation. You're you're trying to turn it into a business and, and you know, I have nothing wrong with business, but I think it really gets complicated in a hurry. Then actually here, the people that I've communicated with, I, Saying, hey, every two weeks we'll go someplace in the six counties and do a stakeout, probably just one night, but it could be two or three nights. And whatever equipment you have and whatever food, but nobody gets charged anything. It's just a, a nice time around the campfire and <laughs> whatever, you know. So that's, that's been really a fun thing, really, with all the variety of people you mix with, you know. It's uh, do any of uh, do any experiences come to mind that are uh, that stand out amongst others on these uh, these excursions that you still go on? Well, actually, uh, um, yeah, actually, the this up here up here uh, by uh, along the Osabo River, uh, uh, we've had it wouldn't be so much direct contact with Bigfoot as much as is what they've left behind. We have discovered, and we, uh, this one fellow that I mentioned, the cabins he's got, that Bigfoot uh, on wooden poles will leave horizontal gouges and scrapes, and and they'll be up uh, six and a half, seven feet off the ground. So you know it can't be no kid with a hatchet, mm-hmm. and you know it's not the, the uh, phone guy with his... Uh, you know, with his um, climbing spikes, spike. yeah, yeah, and you know it's not a bear because most bears aren't that tall, and in many cases you find long up there in that area, long black hair. So yeah. one we found over by St. Helen was blonde hair, 
two and a half inch blonde hair. So, uh, and this is stuck in the wood. So you know darn well that this is pretty surely not other, uh, you know, bear or people. It's, it's Bigfoot doing it. And why they do it is anybody's guess, but uh, I think it might be a way to keep their fingernails short. No. You know, they yeah. probably don't have fingernail clippers. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and and how would you keep your fingernails short, you know, short of biting them off, which is always a possibility, yeah. but uh, scraping horizontal scrapes up there. And uh, I put that on Facebook, and I got very little reaction. You know, some people, well, yeah, oh, yeah, there was a tree climber. It was a kid with a hatchet. Oh, just a minute. This don't quite fit here. Yeah. I don't know many kids that can chop, uh, take away an inch of wood, seven feet in the air, <clears throat> you know. And so uh, that's been really quite impressive to me. And uh, little known in the Bigfoot community that this is something to look for. But other other than that, I within a mile of my home, I found broken trees about six, seven years ago that, had to be Bigfoot, you know, as a, a group of trees. I was turkey hunting, and there was two two trees and a clump of oaks that were they were three inches in diameter, broken opposite direction, nine and eleven feet off the ground. Wow! And uh, I finally got an engineer estimate. It would have taken four hundred pounds force to break those if you held your hands three feet apart, and you know, no evidence of a tractor. No way it was snow or wind, uh, you know. And, and four of the sightings that I'm aware of in this area, they figure the, the beings were 10 foot tall. Well, that's what it would take to uh, break those trees, I think. Isn't that just the hardest thing to wrap your head around? Something, uh, you know, something if 10, they are, 10 feet tall. Uh, it's it's uh, how they hide, you know, but, you know, it don't take much. Most people don't realize they're actually knuckle walkers. Yeah. So, you know, half the time they're on their knuckles. That's why they have the big shoulders and the long arms. And uh, <clears throat> and when you go from 10 feet to 4 feet, that makes a big difference in how you hide in the woods. You've got, you know, particularly lowland where I think they are, you've got a lot of ferns. In the summertime, four-foot fern will hide a lot of bodies. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's I do, except that, you know, the Gigantopithecus, which uh, is probably the best theory of their origin, uh, maybe, is that, uh, you know, they were supposed to be 10 to 15 foot tall. And why, why would the genetics change if they came over a land barrier, you know, they're at the illusions, you know, why would it change? You know, nutrition, the uh, trees, the things to eat would be the same. So. Interesting stuff. Oh, it is. I, uh, I, I got a book, uh, uh, this uh, guy, I wish I'd visit him longer down there in Alabama, but uh, in southern Alabama, this guy wrote a book. I just got it Saturday. Really good writer. But it's the same stuff that I've seen and experienced around here. Uh, you know, small communities had had uh, activity. Somebody saw one here and there, you know. And uh, 
know, very similar, probably a little more aggressive than what we've got around here. I think the southern the swamp ate is can be a pretty nasty creature. Yeah, that seems to here. be very, uh, uh, it seems to be as you move southern, south of of the Midwest. Yeah. They, they do tend to seem to have more um, aggressive, I don't know if aggressive, but the reports seem to be that they are a, 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 a tad bit nastier in their, their disposition. If I, if I lived in 110 degrees mm-hmm. and had six-inch hair, and, and uh, <laughs> I might be ordinary too. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and, and that's that's exactly uh, the point I was making with one of my other guests is that you know running around sweltering heat down in in Florida and Alabama and the heat of the summer yeah um, yeah God talk about uncomfortable Jesus yeah that, yeah. that would be that would not in the be... swamp where there's alligators and yeah. nasty snakes although they probably eat them like you know no problem you know but uh, uh, yeah. Puts together. I, the one thing that I find a little comical, people will talk about the smell. You know, they smell terrible, sure. which I think is true. But when you think about it, I, you know, if they kill deer and small animals, and it takes them three, four days to eat it, and set by them in a hundred degree temperatures, and you don't use toilet paper and you don't use deodorant, mm-hmm. what what you going to smell like yeah, after exactly. a bit? <laughs> Exactly. You can smell pretty bad, you know. Yeah. And now, some of them probably jump in the lake or the swamp and, and are more likely to do that, and that might be a, a good way to cool off. But if you sat in the highland and into those situations, you'd be pretty rank after a while. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed you would. So, Phil, up around up around your area, the west branch of the six counties that you uh, you, you focus on, do you right. do you have any reports of any um, families that are uh, let's say um, have them on their property on a regular basis? Are they are they being bothered by them? Are they um, are they engaged? Anybody up that way engaged in uh, uh, you know the gifting or I, the, putting the, food the, out? The, 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 I guess the closest would be this guy up there on the El Sabo River. Um, I, I can't say that I do, you know. I think my reports are, are, are more isolated. I've had very few situations where people come up and say that they're being threatened and, yeah. and whatnot or animals killed. Uh, I haven't... Uh, really seen too much of that here in fact i was thinking about i should just go through my list of 142 i bet you're not more than three or four of them where the animal's even aggressive that's what that was going to be my next question uh yeah yeah i was interested if if those reports that you get show any kind of aggressive behavior or if it's there is a little bit guys in tree stands well this guy that i hope he survived covid that was definitely aggressive. It chased him out of the woods, not too far from here, and he said it, it got a hold of the car and pushed it sideways. Oh, wow. You know, and he had it crawling and doing stuff. I wish I had somehow thought to grab my camera and got got it when he was talking, because that's the best is get an interview with people like that, mm-hmm. you know. 
but um, uh, I seem to have lost contact with him, and I don't know where he lives, if he's living. And uh, but you know, he, he had definitely had a, a very aggressive uh, Bigfoot after him there, deer hunting. You know, but it seems to be pretty rare uh, here, at least. But it could be the kind of people that would have those experiences might be dire deer hunters who have claimed they don't exist for their whole life and then to eat crow <laughs> say, holy crap, this, this animal about killed me. Uh, that might be hard to do, you know. Yeah. So, uh, after, after ridiculing their neighbors for seeing sure. something, oh. you know, and then, and then have to admit that they... Uh, had a bad experience that could be hard to do yeah i firmly believe uh for every report that you get where somebody has the the, the tenacity to to come out and admit that they've had a an experience or a sighting um there's got to be three to five that for everyone that does there's got to be three to five that want nothing to do with being looked at as that most people are, yep, and most most times they're headed the other direction just as fast as the, the human. The humans go the other way, you know. They don't. They really don't want to interact. I watched. I think it was last night. I watched that. The woods are haunted. Have you seen that? I show? have. Yeah, I've watched that. Several oh, times. that's that's pretty scary stuff. And yeah. and um, I'm sure it must happen, uh, but. You know, I agree with you. I, I bet you there's not, the other 90% where uh, nothing really happens. They uh, look at you and walk away type yeah. of thing, which often happens. You know, and I guess, you know, in fairness to the people who do have these experiences, um, if you did have one that was aggressive and, and maybe put you in a in a thought of, you know, you could be in danger, um, yeah. you'd probably be more apt to want to talk about, um, just purely out of the fear and, and being scared of that situation. And, and then you would be, had you just seen something kind of peek its head out and turn around and, and turn tail and walk away. Um, yeah, it could be, could be, but you know, it's, I, it, I, I hope that too often that it doesn't become, you know, you can see an element there where people might be quicker to make stuff up too but uh you know and that's a big that's a big thing you know especially yeah. with you know doing a show like this you know i, I oh yeah I you gotta to. have your stories and uh um you know seems like that kind of story is a lot more exciting than the Certainly one where is. yeah they looked at you and walked away you know yeah. you know pretty, and it, and it run, i run i run the gambit you know i, I had a gentleman on yep. uh, a couple of weeks ago who says uh, kind of in the uh, the Jackson County area south of you know south of you good ways um, has had what he ex- explained as what he possibly thought up to 12 different individuals over the course of the last uh, well since like 1990 um, oh my goodness you know and uh, when I talk to him you know he, he's He's very matter of fact about it. It's, uh, it's, he's never experienced anything, uh, aggressive. Uh, a couple of them have surprised him at times. Um, but you know, it, it, 
when I, when I listen to him talk, I don't, I don't really get any red flags yet in my head. I'm asking myself, you know, with, with the controversy over the, the existence of these things, if you've had experiences with upwards of 12 of them over the, you know, last 30 years on this piece of property. And, and he really seemed to have like no, no desire whatsoever to, to prove to anybody or to get any kind of, um, you know, with me, it, at least once in that time, I would be like, all right, damn it. I'm going to get my cameras out. I'm going to get a picture of these things, or I'm going to get track casts, or I'm going to, I'm going to do something even for it's, if it's only for my own, uh, my personal enjoyment, I'm, I'm going to have yeah. proof of these things, but you know, he has, he has no desire to do that. And you know, then yeah. I talked to another gentleman from Texas who, uh, 40 years ago walked to the, uh, the edge of a, a, a wooded area near a, um, a fishing, a boat ramp. And as he was relieving himself, this thing swipes his leg out from underneath him and drags him into the woods over a hundred yards. Oh and, my goodness. And he puts a shotgun <laughs> into its belly and, and pulls the, pulls the trigger on a double barrel shotgun. And oh. you know, it's like you, you try to wrap your head around just what that person was going through at the time that this happened. Oh, he thought he was going to die for sure. I'm sure. You know, and it's yep. just, when you talk to these people and they, and they have, you know, okay, you've lived with that for 40 years and I, and I understand that you've, you know, had to come to terms with it at some point in your life, but mm-hmm. I don't know what that would do to me. I think that yeah. that would mess me up. Well, there's, there's quite a few people that would be pretty private, you know, they, either they assume they mentioned it to three people and they got so ridiculed, sure. uh, you're, you know, and I think that's a big factor. They just don't want to face the ridicule and nobody's going to believe me anyhow type of thing. <clears throat> so, so I can see where quite a few people would be that way. So in your experience with, uh, with, with taking reports, going out and, and doing investigations on your own, um, collaborating with other researchers and stuff like that, when you start hearing, um, when you start hearing um, things that most of us would consider to be woo, um, unusual things, you know, orbs of light in the woods, uh, cloaking, um, you know, mind speak, uh, any of any of the the weirder stuff. And and when I talk about that, I don't I don't mean any disrespect towards it because personally, I find that stuff extremely interesting and i think it's it's a it's a it's so unusual and it's so far beyond just the existence of these things as as a wow thing um but it's it sometimes it's not worth sometimes it's not worth talking about because it's even more unquantifiable that's right yep i've had very little of that actually i uh, I personally was two other guys. We were up here near Mayo. Lady's got uh, 25 acres with a very shallow lake on it. Yeah. We were up there. We'd had Bigfoot activity. The neighbors had seen them and whatnot. 
sitting up there by the campfire, and a couple of guys went around her barn, which is an old barn built for about a dozen dairy cows, and they were looking at the lake, and here was an orb out there. And I went down to join them. I had time to take a picture, but I assumed it was them on the deck uh, with a uh, flashlight. Uh, But then the light, it was bigger than a basketball, at least by half again. And then it turned off. And, uh, And that was not swamp gas. The one guy claimed a small orb come up in the grass beside him. Um. But I can honestly say that's, you know, that experience was almost the sum total of my uh, paranormal experience and stories. I've had a couple people, I've had a couple people see UFOs. One guy, he's passed on now, but he saw a hairy man along the road and he looked and there was a UFO. And it took off like UFOs do. A big, you know, it was like 20, 30 yards in diameter, it was a big one, and uh, so I've had very few of those stories actually uh, reported to me. So I, you know, I so at least I've had enough that I'm not going to uh, knock anybody that leaves it or has it. Cause sure. I I think you know they have the potential to be extraterrestrial or spiritual. I I think the potential is there, and. Uh, so I'm not going to knock anybody with it. I just haven't seen too much of it. You know, you talked you talked about that orb that you saw that uh, yeah. on the dock. It was no dock. <laughs> it was out in the water. Oh, oh. <laughs> there was no dock. <laughs> I had uh, I had only seen this, only witnessed this personally one time, and I've heard of it. And when it happened to me, I was about mm, probably. 14 or 15 I was out on a on a lake fishing with my dad it was uh it was getting dark it was it was past sunset but it had not gotten completely dark yet um but it was getting there and uh on his boat the uh the fiberglass antenna for his radio mm-hmm. which was it was tall I, I'm going to say it was least 10 probably 12 feet tall because you would you would you would ratchet this uh mechanism and then it would lay down the length of the boat and it was everybody as long as the boat um and it's called saint elmo's fire and at the top of the uh the fiberglass pole the antenna um Mm -hmm. there was apparently some some part metal um, as far as the antenna was concerned. And it produced on this night, for whatever reason, whether it was barometric pressure or um, the, the, the temperature was correct or the dew point or whatever, I don't know, I don't understand the, uh, the phenomenon behind it, but right. at the top of that antenna was glowing. And it was roughly the size of a cantaloupe and it was just producing this glow. Now, I mean, it wasn't bright enough that you could read by it or anything like that, but it was it was something that was 
focused around the top of that antenna and uh, yeah. it's apparently a natural occurrence uh, yeah whether it whether it was something to do with the boat and the radio and the antenna yeah, yeah. good question that's that's the only thing that i'd ever seen uh, that that would mm-hmm. be remotely close to to that um yeah. i did see a i did see a couple of orbs um and when I say orbs, not not in the photographic sense that it's a, a piece of dust floating when you took a picture. This was, uh, I was with my, my kids doing a, basically a ghost hunting expedition into a, a very old cemetery um, here close to where I live. And my daughter, I got her on videotape and she was, she was 12 or 13 and she was using some, some language that was a little surprising. She kept saying, Oh shit, Oh shit, Oh shit. And, uh, there was about a golf ball sized ball of blue light that just appeared and it did some zigzags and I'm talking, you know, maybe a second and a half that it was visible. Uh, luckily my, my camcorder was on and it was pointed in the direction and we got it on camera and, uh, it just, it did it, it's a little zippity zoo and, and then boom, it was gone. It dissipated. It was gone, but we all saw it and we got it on video and it's like, I have no mm. idea what the heck that was, but sure. it was, it was a, yeah. a bluish white ball of light and it was about the size of a golf ball and it formed up at the top of a, uh, a monument. That was a, a gravestone. Oh, my. And uh, really, really unusual. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, anti-paranormal at all. I just don't, haven't experienced much of it myself. I do think Bigfoot has the, certainly the in, infrasound that is quite common in large animals. And that's really... That's a proven phenomenon. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I think it's very similar to what the Russians and Cubans have done to some of our embassy people. You know, they've mm-hmm. they've learned how to, uh, to use the low frequency uh, system to mess with people. Yeah, and I think it's a very similar thing. So that that's not that's not woo. That's to me, that's a fact there. Well, that's, that's science. <laughs> that's science, you bet. Yeah. And I, I, I remember seeing a, a, a show. I, I couldn't even tell you what the show was, but I do remember there was a uh, there was a group that was at Stonehenge, and they were using uh, a rather large array of speakers that were all um, subwoofers, and they were running mm-hmm. uh, infrasonic um, frequencies through those speakers and they were positioned inside of Stonehenge. And there was apparently some kind of a, a abnormal frequency that when that music was played and it bounced off of the interior walls of the stones of Stonehenge, that it, it produced some unusual frequencies and, and uh, basically turned into infrasound yeah. and, and they had to, they had to stop doing what they were doing because the, the gentlemen that were, that were doing the experiment were getting sick from doing it. Oh, wow. Yep. That's same kind of stuff. 
any estimation on your part on on a um, on a number of of these these creatures around your area? I, I think there's a lot more than people or Dr. Meldrum or anybody else is going to guess. You know, you say, oh, there's just a couple hundred in the state. But I think the potential is that they're here a lot more. Because when you look at the, the amount of forest we have yeah. in Michigan and much of the Midwest states and out west, of course, but, you know, and they are so well hidden, I think you could have a lot more than is being recognized. But to put a number on it is pure guesswork. Do you think, do you think, do you think the government is aware of these things and are keeping? I think there's too many reports where the bodies are taken by the military to not think that. (laughs) I think, I think they know. And, uh, for whatever reason, they're, they're keeping it a secret. Do you have any guesses as to why you think they're not being forthright about it? Well, I guess it'd be pure guess, you know, yeah. is, is it the, 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 whether they don't think the public can handle, handle it. You know, that would be probably one of the best theories. But uh, um, It would definitely lay waste I, to what we've been told is our history. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I just. I guess that's I guess that's the best guess and the only only guess I can think of right and think about it. I uh, you know uh, if if they're here, which is quite clear they are, you know, are the alien uh, where'd they come from? Uh, the, the good part is for the most part they're they don't seem to be aggressive, even though if you read uh, Dave Lighty's books. Uh, Enough people come up missing. Apparently, they can be. Um, I think there's something else going on out there. When when you start be. when you start getting into the missing person stuff, I think there's something. Yeah. There's some other aspect of weirdness that's that's going on could out there be. that people are. Or you know, it could say you know when they get old and lose their teeth, are they like a lion and and humans are pretty slow objects or <laughs> animals compared to. You know, other animals are they like you know? Because lions, when they get old and they they can't get their normal prey, then they become more aggressive around people. And uh, I wonder if there's a parallel there, but I I don't know. You know, anybody's guess. The so, thing of it is, I, I I always find it rather comical when, when almost comical when you see some of these well-known. Like Dr. Meldrum uh, saying, is there enough food here? You know, is there enough deer here to feed these animals? (laughs) uh, Just a minute. Most apes are herbivores. They eat anything. They they eat roots. They eat leaves. They eat whatever. And... uh, to say you got to have a herd of deer or the deer herd is declining because of them, I find rather ludicrous. And, uh, in fact, one of my insights, if you want to call it that, is <clears throat> we years ago, uh, friends of ours gave us a, a, a bushel of uh, iris. 
and I took the best roots and put around the you know the yard. We live at a pine forest, 80 foot pine trees, 30 foot of sand, lots of shade, very little moisture. I that plot right there where them were dumped is now about uh, six or eight feet wide and uh, diameter. And they don't flower, but they're there. They're living. And they're closely related to water lilies, uh, all kinds of, you know, there's probably a dozen different water aquatic plants that must have tremendous root uh, growth in the the bog. And uh, they know that Bigfoot will eat roots like that. So what a better place to find a, a good source of protein and food than in the bog. And you, they could take it off the bottom of the bog, and you would never know it. You know, it's the, they could take those roots and pull them up in their underground caves, and have all kinds of food for the winter. You know. I wanted to ask you something. You know, you're you're about what two and a half hours north of of Grand Rapids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got quite so, a bit of family around Grand Rapids. So yeah. you're not you're not in the Upper Peninsula. And, oh, and this no. and this takes place. What I'm going to tell you now takes place up in the Upper Peninsula, um, mm-hmm. over on the on the west side, um, almost smack dab in the middle of, uh, right around Waters Meet, is is the area that I was at, and uh, mm-hmm. I used to go on a on a yearly fishing trip that was a, a full week with uh, with several guys, and the the gentleman that I would go up there with um, we would take one day out of those seven days and then he and I would just go and we would go we would go spend the day together because we were we were buddies and we just kind of wanted to get away and 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 hang out with each other for for a day instead of all the other guys and um, at one point he took me he said uh, you feel like taking a taking a drive and go see something really unusual and I said yeah let's go so we went and we, we had lunch and we, we got, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe an hour, maybe not quite an hour, uh, northwest of, of Waters Meet. And he took me to a, another piece of property that his family, uh, I believe his grandfather owned. And uh, we walked back out on this property and he, we walked past an area, a stump that, um, he and his father would always take uh, Dale and uh, um, donuts and and stuff like that for the bear, where they would bait for the bear. And then we we continued on and we got to this. Uh, it was almost like a, almost looked like it had been a farm at one time. There was still obvious um, ninety degree angles, like where uh, fields were. Um, sure. And. And he took me back to this place and he called it the dying field. And it was the most surreal thing I had ever seen. And basically what it was, was probably a rough guess was probably at its thickest, maybe 10 yards deep tapered off on, on the sides it was right back in the corner of a, of what would have been a field. Mm-hmm. And it was, 
I mean, it it was a, it was a, a graveyard. It was a, it was a pile of deer bones, mm-hmm. heads, rib cages, legs, hooves. <laughs> it was, you know, there there had to have been hundred or more. Oh my goodness! And it was it was just in a pile. Now this was a weird piece of property. It was, it was not, I'm, I'm sure we didn't walk a mile back to get to it. Um, but you know, probably we walked, I bet we walked a good 25 minutes, you know, through and, and so in, in his estimation, his, he and his, his dad and his grandfather and his brothers and everybody um, assumed that it was a, a place where the old deer, the sickly, the, the malnourished, um, due to the harsh winters up in the Upper Peninsula, um, lack of food, would go and, and for whatever reason they were drawn there to die. And, and that's the thing that struck me about it was, you know, and obviously there was nothing that was there that was fresh, but everything was pretty much picked clean. I mean, these bones were clean of meat. You didn't really see any, and now I didn't go digging through it. Um, there were no signs of hide or, or meat or everything seemed to be cleaned off and, and, you know, bleached from the, the sun of the, and, and it's, it just was such a, a surreal. There was absolutely no sign of any kind of two track. No. Where anybody was driving back there. This was like a, a parcel of land that had been at one time. And I want to say it had been quite some time since it had been farmed. Yeah. It was, it looked abandoned. Um, you know, we really didn't have much of a conversation of, you know, why his grandpa didn't farm that area. His grandpa was, had passed already. Um, I wasn't even sure if that property was still owned by his family. I assume since we were on it, it was. Um, but it was such an unusual site, and it, it had such a funky feel to it, you know. I mean, and I'm not saying that it was, you know, I had the feeling that we were being watched or anything like that. It just was, it was in its in its enormity of the amount of uh, deer that had died there. It's amazing. You know, I, I don't believe I don't believe uh, deer have the intellect to go to that kind of place and die. I just don't think they think that well. I can I can believe that it might be a, a bunch of Bigfoot that that's where they take them to eat them. But my current theory about why is there no body is because the Bigfoot eats the bones even. Not just the meat, but they eat the bones too. Yeah. Guy up here by Higgins Lake found a large BM with a deer hoof in it. Oh and, wow! Uh, really? And I 
read Man, the book I'm about trying to pass that. Jesus. Yeah. Well, if you're a thousand pounds or eight hundred pounds, you probably wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but I read a book about the uh, Australian Yahoo, and the writer of that book said that they have strong enough jaws to bite the bone right off. And then somebody said, "Well, a hundred hundred and fifty pound dog does." So if a 150-pound dog can do it, why can't an 800-pound man-ape do it, you know? So, so there's why you don't have any, they eat everything, you know? So, But then you hear about these stashes of bones like that, which is not new, uh, why they're not eating all the, the bones. You'd think that would be quite a source of calcium or, you know, nutrients. Well, in the marrow itself. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. That's the delicacy. We went to Mexico, and they, they uh, at one point, a church group, and they barbecued goat, and the, the uh, marrow, bone marrow, was the delicacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wanted to eat and get that out of the bone. But, you know, I guess the reason I bring that up is, you know, your area, you start to get a bit more rural um, oh, yeah. in your Quite. area. And oh, yeah. I'm sure deer hunting is is uh, is wildly popular up there as well. Oh and, yeah, and you have an abundance yeah. of them, and yep. uh, and even at your at your area, you're already starting to see a bear to some extent. Yes, seeing what bear in your area? Oh, we got bear. Yeah, there's a guy that owns a furniture store in town. A few years ago, he said he's got a couple hundred acres south here about. 10, 15 miles, and he said he had 17 different bear on his tra- trail game. Yeah. But that's all swamp. And, but you've never game. had, you've never heard of anything in your, uh, around your neck of the woods, so to speak, uh, that would be anything similar to what I'm, ex- I was experiencing up there with that. No, no. A, a pile of bones, no. No. Within a mile of me, state land, I've had numerous things I've found. <laughs> Um, you know, various things, but, uh, you know, structures and yeah. those broken trees and one guy was fishing in a marrow pit and somebody's throwing big rocks into it, and that kind of thing, you know, which is obviously Bigfoot to me. Um, but no, I've never found a big stash of bones, no. But you hear about it happening, yeah. so apparently... They don't always eat them all completely up. You know, and at the time when I saw this, um, I mean, it was not, I was, it, they were already making fun of me for, for believing in Bigfoot. And, oh, yeah. You know, sure. I mean, it, it was oh, yeah. something that was on my radar for sure. Um, but when I went to see that and, and, you know, with his explanation of what they thought was going on, I mean, it made, made, wild sense to me that you know if if the the winters are as as harsh as they are up there that you know potentially maybe they you know because i've heard that i think elephants um tend to go off and and um do something like that as far as if they're if they're elderly or they're sick that they that there's a place that they they know to go Um, i think they're different though i think they are Pretty much a thinking animal. Yeah, definitely they are. Uh, Yeah. You know, but I didn't know that much about deer, and I thought, well, you know, maybe that's that's something they do. But 
looking back on it now and having heard of other reports of large stashes of bones like that, it makes you wonder what, what was I standing in front of? Yeah. Unless, unless it was uh, for some reason, it's a yarding area for deer and then they, many of them would die. And then of course the other predators come along and eat all the meat, you know? Yeah. But why would they pile it? You know, that's that's the thing, the the predators, you know, and why, why would a, why would a deer who was, you know, sickly or um, knowing that it was near its end, it wouldn't definitely wouldn't just go lay down on a pile of other dead deer bones. You know, I could see it being in an area, but. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be Bigfoot activity myself. I wish I would have had the presence of mind uh, to, to take a picture of it. Um, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't the pleasantest uh, uh, oh, thing to terrible. stand in front of and look right, at. Right, um, right. <laughs> no, I think people should take people should take pictures. I uh, I got a all I do is I got a well, it used to be a hundred dollar, hundred fifty dollar camera, and I got a, what about nineteen power zoom on that thing now. So <laughs> I always carry it when I go for a hike in the woods, and uh, uh, you know. If you have one on the other side of a big field, you would really want to bring it right up with your Zoom if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Phil, I appreciate you taking the time and, and talking with me tonight. It was a pleasure oh, getting to getting to know you and hear some of your experiences. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a wide open field. I mean, as far as all kinds of theories about everything. <laughs> so, it certainly but is. It's been a great... It's been a great hobby for me. I I wish more of my family was acceptable to the idea. The interesting, I didn't get into this, but but I've come from on both sides of very religious families, and I'm convinced that these animals may be coming. Their origin would be from Esau and the Edomites, which I think is very clearly an origin of a hairy man in the Bible. But you talk to uh, most church people and they they just don't know the Bible well enough to know that's even there much. I've talked to a half a dozen minister about it and they have no clue. Now so is that idea. is that anything related to what you're talking about? Is that and forgive me because I don't know the Bible well. Um, as far as the Nephilim, I think what the the Esau was a blood brother to Jacob, who was the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. <clears throat> but but uh, Esau was rejected by his dad and he, and was told that he will live away from earth's blessings and he would live by the sword. But I think he just, uh, you know, mixed with the Edomites and, and with the Nephilims, which are the giants. Mm-hmm. So they mixed, and, and that would be a logical, to me, a logical heritage of them. And... Uh, well, oh, that's, a, right. Gen- that's a whole Genesis. other rabbit hole there, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, Genesis 25, that's a couple of stories. Uh, you know, uh, it's very clear. Uh, Rebecca was told she was going to be the mother of two nations. And uh, Esau was firstborn and should have had his blessing, but he gave it away because he was hungry. And then he was cheated. cheated well, his inheritance he gave away. His blessing was cheated out of him by his mother and uh, his brother because they put hair on the body 
on his on, on Jacob's hands, so he because the dad had gone blind and wanted to. I, I find it rather funny. Uh, the dad wanted to have a, a meal of uh, wild game, and and I feel so often people today men love wild game and women could care less. Yeah, yeah that's very true. <laughs> it's almost universal. Men just love wild game, and women, you know. They'll eat it a lot. They'll of eat it if you don't tell them what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or to be polite, you know. But it's fine. But yeah, that's another whole rabbit hole, and, and, and uh, uh, just a lot more guessing there. I'm on Facebook arguing with some guys about it, and, and uh, you know, everybody's got their own opinion, of course. And and, and we none of us know what we're talking about. So <laughs> that's, that's very true. There, there yeah, are no uh, yeah. there are no experts. <laughs> No, it's pure, a lot of it's pure theory, you know, conjecture of what you think it all fits together. And that's yeah. what's that's what's so great about this show is, you know, I get to hear so many differing opinions and so many uh, different theories and and people's uh, yeah. ideas on what they think could be going on. That uh, yeah. man, it just uh, it just opens up so many more avenues, and it gives you it just gives you a better perspective having hearing hearing other people's perspectives. When I hear somebody's story, I can look at it from a, you know, I might not buy it and, and it might not, right. not fall within the parameters of what I think is going on, but right, it does give right. me the opportunity to look at it from somebody else's perspective and, yeah. and it really, yep. it opens things up for you. Sure. Yep. Yeah. It's been fun. I appreciate it, Phil. It, it was yeah. good getting yeah. to talk to you and, uh, hopefully our paths will cross over the, uh, over the summer, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make your your May Bigfoot days this year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly, we'll see you at uh, the Michigan Bigfoot Conference, or maybe you might be able to make your way down to Bigfoot and Bruce. And, mm-hmm. uh, do you uh, do you do presentations? Uh, I'll, I'll be hosting it. To be honest with you, I, it's it's well. What I was getting at is we have a fall we have a fall conference, <clears throat> sort of low key. Mm-hmm. You really don't pay anybody much and it's like five bucks but it gives the local people more opportunity to just talk about their experiences sure and and if somebody is doing speaking you know that might be an opportunity if you're interested in doing that kind of thing yeah i'm not opposed to it um i have not done it yet and like i said you know doing this show i, I get the opportunity to talk a lot of people and, oh, and yeah. get a lot of experiences um yeah but September will be my my first attempt at uh, at hosting. So, uh, oh, okay. Uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Um, but it, what's the date of that? What's uh, the date sep- of that? September tenth. September tenth. In Dwajak, Michigan. It's at the Go Sister ahead. Lakes Brewing Company. Okay. I can. So I can is that where you're? Is that where you're from then? I I'm, I live uh, about 25 minutes south of that. I live right on the state line of uh, Indiana and Michigan. I live in South Bend, uh, right, yeah. literally on the state line. And uh, you know, my when I was married, I lived in in Niles. My kids uh, grew up in in Michigan. They currently live both in uh, Grand Rapids area. And uh, you know. 90% of the time when I turn out of my neighborhood, I drive up into Michigan. So I'm basically a Michigan transplant, um, but I, but I live I in South Bend. So. I had two or three college uh, roommates 
MSU from that area, Dwajek. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, John Galazim was one, but I, I don't know. But anyhow, that's well, that was in the 60s, so that's a long time ago. Yep. Well, thanks a lot, then, Eric. You have a good day. Thank you. You too. Okay, thanks. I appreciate Bye. it. Bye. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your experience. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. Share the show on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable.